morning. Let's try that again, make sure everybody's awake. Good morning. Good job. We're awake. All right. Guys, I love corporate worship. Uh, I love it for all the spiritual reasons that I'm supposed to, but I also love it for a personal reason. Sunday mornings can be difficult, can't they? I usually spend Sunday mornings, or the beginning of them, uh, on my knees in prayer, wake up quiet before the house is up, and some great time in prayer. And then this thing happens uh, from that point on. It's gathering, gathering the family and attempting to get here. And uh, so in this corporate time of worship, the first song, I just want to confess to you that sometimes I'm going, God, I just want to confess to you this morning. And I know I started off in a good place, but uh, we've come a long way since then. And so I want to confess that to you. And then the second song comes up, and there's this, there's this redemption that takes place going, God, thank you. Thank you again that I get to be here. And then that third song always just captures me. And I realize how far I've come in just a short time in the morning. That from 6 o'clock this morning to, to 10 o'clock when we started this message, that I can drift that far. So that's just my confession to you this morning. Thankful for Aaron and for Stephanie for leading us this morning and for taking us to that place of corporate worship. Guys, uh, as Clint mentioned earlier, my name is Ryan Lewis. I'm one of the elders that you guys are sending uh, to plant a church this September. Uh, I'm thankful to be here. It's a pleasure, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, Brad and Ben and Scott are all leaders that I trust and respect greatly. And I do not take lightly the trust that they have placed in me this morning by asking me to share this pulpit. Also, I'm thankful to serve the body this way. Uh, my family and I joined this body on June 1st, and it's a pleasure to serve you guys. So, quick disclaimer, uh, anytime that I speak or anytime that I speak in a new context, I always feel like I need to give this, um, that it is my tendency to say things that you will like so that you will like me. That's just a confession of my heart. Um, I would love to deliver to you today the most eloquent, articulate, sermonic display of exegetical exposition that you've ever encountered so that you might be impressed with my ability to communicate God's word. Um, truth is, I have a little too much redneck running through my veins to do that anyway. So I may come off a little more redneck than refined uh, today. But Galatians 1.10 warns against that. That's why I confess it to you. As much as that is my desire, uh, the truth is that uh, that's not what's going to happen today. I've been invited by your elders uh, to stand here this morning to expose God's word, to explore it, and to exhort us all to do what it says. So, guys, that's my goal. Finally, guys, um, since I have two Sundays with you, I intend to preach a little bit more topically these next two Sundays. The reason I bring that up is because I know that I'm speaking to a congregation that has been conditioned for expositional preaching, and the idea of a topical sermon can be somewhat offensive, even at times. And so this morning, I don't intend to preach topically. I intend to preach thematically, since that's the new reformed version of topic, uh, <laughs> as to not offend anybody. So, guys, let's get started. Let me pray. Father, this morning, I'm thankful to be here. God, in your presence, in conversation with you, God, what a privilege it is, what a gift that is that we take for granted so often. We can talk to you right now, that you're the God of the universe and that you hear us, that you care. God, this morning as we gather corporately, God, to be equipped, God, I pray that you would equip us through your word. God, that as I expose your word, God, that you would just allow me to be a mouthpiece. God, your word says that I'm to be regarded as one as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And God, I pray that you would help me to accomplish and live up to that calling this morning. That what is presented would not be my ideas but it would be directly taken from your word and your truth. God, this morning I want to lift up another pastor in the community, as Crosspoint Fellowship does often. I want to lift up a friend of mine, Shannon Collins, who's in Royce City at Redeemer Church. I want to lift up him and his wife, Karen. 
And I pray for Shannon this morning as he delivers your word. And I pray for him and Karen, God, as they apply your word in their own lives and marriage and family. And God, in leadership of that church as well. God, I pray that for all of us this morning, that we would not just be here to know more about you, a little bit more today, but that we would walk away knowing you more and that we would be energized to do what you say in obedience. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, guys, uh, today much of what I'm going to talk about is living connected in community. This idea of being devoted and known. Uh, Ben, Scott, and Brad, your elders, have done an excellent job of shaping this body into a proper understanding of what the church is. So I in no way want to re-preach what they've accomplished here, and you guys have lived out here. My desire this morning is to compliment what it is that you guys are doing here and possibly challenge you guys to take community to the next level. So if you have your Bibles with you, will you please turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. As you're turning there, I'd like to catch us up just a little bit and build a little context before we jump in. Guys, in, in the New Testament... Uh, we find, this is simple New Testament background, but in the New Testament, we find four books known as the Gospels. We find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels record the life of Jesus. They record that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he was crucified on the cross. Uh, they record that he did this uh, for our good and for his glory. Uh, as he was crucified, he, was, he died and he was buried and he was resurrected in order that we might have life and relationship with him. So, guys, the book of Acts, otherwise known as the Acts of the Apostles, was written by Luke, as was the Gospel of Luke, and picks up where these Gospel accounts leave off. So imagine for a second that if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you jump directly to Romans, and you didn't have Scott here a couple weeks ago to set up the context of Romans, you would ask a question. You would say, how did the church get to Rome? What's the in-between? Acts is the in-between. The Holy Spirit fills and empowers believers to bear witness to the Gospel of Jesus Christ among the Jews and the Gentiles, and in doing so, the early church is established. So we, guys, as modern-day readers, we can learn much from the details of Acts and how the early church was established, and much can be learned and applied by those of us that gather today as followers of Jesus Christ that make up this church. So as the gospel accounts end with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, Luke picks up in Acts just before Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus tells his disciples to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise? The promise was that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this promise comes true as we would expect any promise from God to come true. And Jesus ascends into heaven. His Holy Spirit then descends upon the disciples. And, the, guys, the timing of this is beautiful. There's this little thing called Pentecost going on right now. Uh, Pentecost is the Feast of Pentecost, which was a festival where Jews celebrated um, I celebrated because of the law. We today celebrate because of the Holy Spirit descending on the church. But in short, the reason I bring this up is that there's a ton of people in town. The scripture tells us in Acts 2.5, says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So here's what happens after this. The, the disciples are gathered, and the sound of the rushing wind comes and fills the house that they are gathered in. This sound of rushing wind must have been very loud. Uh, as the scripture tells us in 2.6, because those in Jerusalem, those that were dwelling in Jerusalem from all the nations gathered, they gathered to see what it was. Here's what happened. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, he's a Jew, by the way, he stands, and he's about to proclaim 
Jesus Christ to anyone who'd listen. So Peter, who's a Jew, and one of the apostles, he stands and preaches the sermon of his life to Jews on a Jewish holiday about the Jewish Messiah that was just killed. This is where we're going to pick up today. If you're in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jump with me down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jump with me to Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now our passage of focus today is going to be Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I want us to read this now that we have some context and explore the response of those whose hearts were pierced, what they did, and how that applies to the church today. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is what happened. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now if we stop here and if we look again at verse 42, we're going to see something. We're going to see that Luke has provided a summary verse of what we just read in verses 46 and 47. He says that they were devoted. Read with me again. Short, short verse here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Guys, our, our two points of focus today that we're going to draw out of this passage is they were devoted and they were known. The Greek word translated here, devote, it implies persistence, perseverance, and endurance despite difficulty. The first question that comes to my mind is, what difficulty? Why? Why were they so devoted? Well, what happened here? Well, again, verse 37 says, when they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. Some translations may use the, the word pierced. And when they witnessed the immediate transformation of the apostles, they were in awe. Question, church, has the Holy Spirit pierced your heart like this? Are you in awe of the gospel this morning? I, I confessed to you just a minute ago that I woke up in awe Sunday morning, ready to come and preach God's word, and by the time I got here, I'd lost it a bit. Are you in awe this morning? Has your heart been pierced? As this is one of the greatest burdens of my life, as ministering to those that live in the Bible Belt culture that we live in, those that have become sleepy, those that have heard the gospel so many times that it's become all too familiar, only to drift into a place where they've lost their awe if they had it to begin with. I truly believe that the reason for this burden was that this was me. I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you in that in the year 2002, I took 
my finger and I pointed it at the local church that I sometimes attended. I said these words. I said, you're a fake, you're full of hypocrites, and I'm never coming back. What I did not know at the time of my vow was that I would come back, but that 18 months later when I did come back, that I would crawl back through the door completely broken and completely desperate for help. Guys, I'd called myself a Christian. Um, after all, I knew some church lingo. I could speak some Christianese. Some of you guys know how to speak that well. I knew some scripture. You believe that? So someone who thought he was a Christian, the tragedy is that I, I thought I was. But the, the scripture that I, I knew, Philippians 4.13, it was the verse that I had memorized. Uh, as many of you know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, looking back, I think that I like that verse because it started with I and it ended with me. Uh, and that was pretty much the summary of my life, was that everything was about me. Because my view of God was that there was one. My view of Jesus was that there was one. I did not know him. When I left the church, I would have said that my life was great, that I was in control. I had some money, I had some friends, all good. When I crawled back, I confessed the truth. My life was out of control. I was a fake. I was the hypocrite. Pornography. Divorce, depression, alcohol, addictions, a shameful sexual past. Guys, my life was covered in sin. I was broke, and I was broken. A good friend led me to the Lord, and for the first time, my heart was pierced. And awe came over me. I'd never experienced it until this point. Never experienced awe until this point. When this happened to me, and before I ever even knew that the book of Acts existed, I remember asking my friend this question. I said, what do I do? What do I do now? Crazy enough, if we look back to verse 37, we can see what Peter's listeners said. They said, brothers, what shall we do? They didn't say, yeah, but, or they didn't wait a minute. They didn't criticize, as many of us would do. They just said, what shall we do? Let's look at what they did. First point today is followers of Christ are devoted. They're devoted to God's word. Verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Guys, how did they do this? How did they do this? Well, guys, 3,000 people are, are not easy to fit into any place, so they broke into smaller groups. Scripture says that day by day, they continued to use the temple for a place of assembly and ministry. In verse 46, but they also met in their homes. Scripture says they had meals together, they worshiped together, they cared for one another. And all of these things, the apostles' teaching, or God's word, was paramount. Because it was central to the rhythm of their lives. Here's what can happen if we're not careful. Here's what can happen to those of us that have been around the church scene long enough. Is that we have a tendency to adopt the belief that the gospel is only for non-believers to become believers. For converts to be made. Because the early church did more than make just converts. They made disciples. It's one of the things I want to point out this morning. That if we go to the verse that many of us know so well, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's the Great Commission. Many of you have it memorized probably. That we're to go therefore and we're to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're to teach and obey and observe all that's been commanded. It's a separate sermon, but if we were to unpack the Great Commission, we would see that there's three marks of a disciple there. Luke's connection here is these three marks of a disciple, that there's the act of a non-disciple becoming a disciple in that verse. Go and make disciples. That means somebody was not, and now they are. Okay? The second mark of a disciple in that great commission is what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's the second mark. 
So we see here the early church that they've become disciples. They've been baptized. And now what's the third one? Teaching them to obey and observe all that's been commanded. So guys, the third mark of a disciple in the Great Commission is covenant membership. That's what we see going on here in the early church. That their awe has come upon them. That their hearts have been pierced. That they responded. They said, what do we do? They were baptized. And this immediate transformation comes over them. And they say, we want more. We want to we be devoted to each other. We want to be devoted to God's word. We want to be a part of something. So covenant membership is here. Every member, guys, is a minister. Every minister, every minister is to be devoted to God's word and is to be known. To point today. Devoted to God's word. So that applies to us today, guys, if, we're, if our hearts have been pierced, as if we've been baptized, if we're a member, covenant member of this church, are we devoted to God's word? Are we devoted to each other? Are we known? As 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, right, for rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Church, if we're to be thoroughly equipped, we must be devoted must be devoted to his word. Guys, just let me make a point. That it is so easy in my experience to have just about anything, just about anything at the center of our community except God's word. Now, I'm not talking to all of us here. Many of you guys may be doing a great job at this, but I know that I have been to so many breakfast meetings. I've been to so many so-called Bible study meetings and fellowship gatherings where God's word was not central. In fact, it was never cracked or even discussed. Now, sports stats, oh, man. Music, movies, hunting, babies, whatever's new. Guys, it's discussed. Guys, are we, are we devoting ourselves to God's word and are we applying it as the church devoted to each other? God's word must be at the center of how we're living as a church. Second point I want to make today is that followers of Christ are devoted to God's people and known. Known. Guys, I'm going to hang out here for a while on this known thing, this known idea. So Ben made a point a few weeks ago that was spot on. He said, I wrote it down because I knew this was coming. He said, I can be, it can be so easy to love non-believers. It's the believers that are hard to love. Guys, community is tough. But this is where discipleship and this is where maturity happens. The word fellowship that Luke uses in this passage, or koinonia uh, in the Greek, it's built on the root meaning of common or having in common or sharing or being known. Let's look again at our text to see the relevance of this. Verse 44. And all who, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47 says, Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we see here that Devotion to God's people, devotion to God's word, it's not an event. This is a daily rhythm of life. Verse 46 says day by day. Again, the word, the word that Luke uses here, it implies sharing, common, being known. Two dangers that I want to point out that I see in many congregations today, and again, I just joined this body. I don't know if it's you, but my gut tells me that it's here somewhere, usually is is that many today make community event. We just do. The scripture, guys, it does not allow for this. If we, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
if we're not living in rhythm, connected and authentic community where we are devoting ourselves to God's word, where we are devoting ourselves to each other, fully known and fully knowing others. Guys, and we're in danger. How many of you guys watch the Discovery Channel? Ever? Yeah? You know, it's funny. Here I am thinking you guys are going to respond. You guys are used to Ben that just asks rhetorical questions. So guys, how many of you guys watch the Discovery Channel? Just show of hands. Yeah? Okay. Watch what happens to Ben when he asks a question next time. Everybody's going to say something or raise their hand. Um, as, here's the scene that I've seen play out so many times. You, maybe you have too. If there's a big cat or there's a predator and it's in the tall grass and we see the herd, don't we? The, the cute little antelopes or the gazelle and we see this big cat. He's stalking and it's, and it's just, what is, it, what is that big cat? What is this predator trying to do? He, he's trying to look for the weakest link. He's trying to look and to isolate those that are maybe on the edge of the herd, maybe those that are flirting with being a part of the herd, but they've just kind of wandered. They're off on their own. Why? Because they know that when they're in isolation, they're in danger, easy targets. Because that's the same, same application for us as a church. If any of us begin to drift, if any of us are not having community or fellowship as a daily rhythm of our lives, devoted to each other, devoted to God's word, we become isolated or in danger. 1 Peter 5.8. Doesn't it say that? It says we're to be sober-minded. We're to be alert because we have an enemy that prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We forget often that we are at a war. We're at war with an enemy that seeks to destroy us. Guys, where there's community, there's strength. We can sharpen one another. We can support one another. Daily rhythm of our lives. When we're an event, when community is an event, we're in danger. Here's the second danger that I see in churches often, is when we do this, when we make community event, we fake it. We fake it. Humility and maturity equals healthy, authentic community. Guys, I want you to say that with me. Humility and maturity equal healthy, authentic community. I'm getting there. It's good. Followers of Christ are known, guys. They're not fake. Not fake. They understand that they're fully known, fully loved by God, and make the gospel visible by living it out loud. Make the gospel visible by living it out loud. Guys, did you know the phrase one another? You know it's mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. 59 times commands are attached to that phrase that the church cannot obey without one another. You think this is important? You think this idea of daily rhythm of our lives is important? Yeah, it's important to cross-point fellowship. If you look at the belief statement of the church, this is why you read that they desire to be a transparent and a genuine people living and walking with Christ, what? Out loud. That's where I robbed that language. Yeah, that's a key value of this church. Understanding that displaying the gospel is the point of the church. Making disciples is the point of the church. Are you? Are you? Maybe some of you are. Praise God for that. Some questions that I have for you this morning, myself included. I always need this message just as much as anybody. Is do you have people in, li- in your life that know you? And I don't mean just know you on Facebook. I mean know you where you live, what you do, your good side, your bad side, your bad habits. 
How about your greatest struggles? That sin that so easily besets you. How about your past baggage? You ever come clean with that? Who you are alone is alone who you are. Is it known who you are when you're alone? It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Say that again. Is it known who you are when you're alone? Got so many in the church that are still hanging back, still wearing a mask, still putting the white picket fence up, faking it. Guys, you remember my story. Let me say this, though. Guys, Christians, we ought to be the most transparent people anywhere, period. Why wouldn't we be? Guys, Romans 3.23 says that we all fall short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we fall short, that he died for us. Don't you think that exposes what we're trying to pretend that we're not? Don't you think that exposes our failure? Why do we cover up our need for Jesus so much in the church? Not just to non-believers outside the church, but to each other in the church. I was guilty of this for so long. So long. We, why do we pretend and why do we rob opportunities for God to be glorified in our weakness? I was the king of this. I was serving as a pastor on staff at a local church. And uh, pastors have an easy way out because we have this veil that we can hide behind thinking that we, we're not a part of the body. Somehow our culture has elevated us to above the body. Now, I respect the office of elder and I respect the office of deacon, but I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But um, somehow in our culture, we just have presented this idea that pastors are above all of this. We're above falling short in any way. And so it's an easy way out for many of us that are pastors. So uh, my wife and I were asked to be a part of starting a, uh, a local marriage ministry because marriages in our community and our church were just dropping left and right. And it was a common scene that was playing out that um, not only was I serving as a young married pastor, but I oversaw our life group leaders or shepherds. And there, there was common conversation that would come up. I'd be talking to a life group shepherd who would tell me about a couple that he had in his life group. And this couple, hypothetically, had been in their life group for about three years. Even leaders had served in some capacity. And uh, week after week, I'd hear this same conversation where these leaders would tell me that that couple, they're, they're just not, they're not here anymore. So I called them, decided to see what was going on and find out they're getting a divorce and go back and ask the life group shepherd if he knew anything about it. He said, no. I didn't even know anything was wrong. Oh, something's missing, isn't it? Okay, not this church, but the local church that I was serving in. We had created the proper structure. I mean, all the systems were in place. We'd, we'd set the table for church members to do life together in rhythm and to be real with one another and have community. Something was missing. Even in a context of studying the Bible, an opportunity is created to hide. It's easy to study even behind God's word, isn't it? So marriages, boom, boom, boom. So Elizabeth and I were asked to participate in piloting this new marriage ministry in the community. And I'd never seen anything like it. There was a little church in Dallas that was starting it, and we went and visited this church, and I saw this couple on stage, and they started sharing their testimony, and, man, my arms start to cross, and I start to get a little uncomfortable, and I, I leaned over to Elizabeth, and I go, man, whoo, man, this is never going to fly in our church. This kind of transparency, no way. By the way, I'm really uncomfortable right now, but I love it. I've never seen anything like this. I thought I knew what transparency was, but not until that moment. 
And we were part of a small group, or one of those leaders took us through, and this leader, man, he was pushy. Man, he was pushy. He just would not let me off the hook as a pastor. This was a 16-week curriculum that we were going through on marriage ministry to learn how to minister to marriages better in our community. And man, this guy, he wouldn't let off. Six weeks in, I leaned back over to Elizabeth, and I said, honey, we're going to have to get real, or we're going to have to get out. Because this guy is not letting us off the hook. I don't know what's about to happen. I think I may lose my job. But I'm about to start coming clean about all my past baggage. And I'm about to share things that we've never shared in the context of church before. And she goes, okay. Shared. It's funny. I didn't lose my job. It's funny. I didn't lose any friends. God took that and he multiplied it. I'll never forget that leader calling me that night. He said, Ryan. I said, yeah. He goes, you still got a job? He's joking with me. But I said, yeah, I still got a job. He goes, here's the thing. He goes, I'll follow you anywhere. He said, you're a pastor in this church. Man, what you did, coming clean, because that's leadership right there. You watch how God takes and multiplies that. I had no idea what he was talking about. Four years later, seeing what God did with that, with Elizabeth and I, in our own life, in our own marriage, me as a husband, me as a father, me as a pastor, just as a Christian, Change who I was, coming clean, understanding that I could be fully known in community. Guys, why do we pretend? It's pride. James 4 6 tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's so much grace given to those of us that humble ourselves before him and before others and go, hey, we don't have to pretend anymore. Here's who we are. Here's what we're striving to be. And we want you, we want to expose this so that you can come alongside us and that you can help us. Because there's so much grace given in that. That's pornography, money, sexual immorality, addictions, idolatry, depression, relationship issues. Guys, all of these are plagues in the church today. If you look up the stats, they're absolutely bewildering. Marriage is falling apart due to infidelity and affairs. Pastors caught in moral failures. Debt growing and growing. Guys, this is not just outside the church. This is inside the church. Why? It's because church folk are still pretending. Church folk are still caught up in pride. Sin grows in the dark. Say that one with me. You guys are going to get a little louder this time. Watch. Sin grows in the dark. All right, you guys got this. As I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about some of the accountability that I have in my life and how sometimes we throw out Proverbs 27, 17 to each other saying that iron sharpens iron. And I thought, you know, we love that as a church, don't we? We love that idea. But the problem that I see is I visit many churches I've been a part of many churches and many small groups. Everybody seems so razor sharp all the time. Nobody's dull. Everybody is the one sharpening, seems like. I know I need to be sharpened. And if I'm going to be sharpened, I better expose where I'm dull. I better ask others to speak into that. It's a challenge for you this morning. Guys, when we hide When we hide, when we fake it, guys, that's not devotion to each other. That's not what the early church was doing here. They had no preconceived notion of how to play church like we do. Think about that for a minute. They were cut to the heart. That's when you're cut to the heart, things change. They were cut to the heart because they knew how wretched their sin was. Because they responded, remember how? Obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, obey If you love me, obey. When the body of Christ hides their sin and does not confess, healing and maturity are hindered. 
Say that again. When the body of Christ hides their sin and does not confess their sin, healing and maturity are hindered. James 5.16 says that we're to pray for one another. We're to confess our sins. We're to pray for one another so that we may be healed. We understand as followers of Christ that forgiveness has taken place in the gospel. We understand that we cannot earn the love of God any more than we already have it. We understand forgiveness a great deal. But do we want healing? Confess. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we're faithful to confess our sin, then he is faithful to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why do we fake it in the church, guys? We see over and over throughout Scripture that one another, we're to be in a daily rhythm of authentic community with one another, spurring each other on. We're going to talk more about maturity next weekend because the maturity is the goal. If I don't expose to you areas that are dull in my life, how can I expect you to? If Elizabeth and I don't expose areas of our marriage and our parenting that are dull, and all that we ever do is present to you that we are sunshine and roses all the time, how are we to ask you to do any different? How are we going to be sharpened? Guys, we're all a part of this body. We're here to spur one another on to sharpen each other. When we do, guys, the gospel is made visible. I read a quote earlier this week. It said that Christians in America today have become experts at conviction and failures to action. I think there's some truth in that. The question that I started asking is, why are we failures to, act, to action? Here's my belief. I believe that the reason that we fail to act is that we are scared that someone might see us fail. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Guys, here's the good news of the, good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is it tells us what we already know deep inside. We failed. Guys, when I walked out of the church in 2002, I had no idea what it meant to be known. 13 years later, I have never been more known. Some of this was the prompting of the Spirit. Some of this was us exploring a new marriage ministry. Some of this was failing. About three years ago, four years ago, I was pastoring a large community campus of a megachurch. And in that first year, uh, we'd had... Uh, Trinity, who's our youngest daughter, and um, I was also leading a very large marriage ministry, and we had left our context of community. That first year was rough, guys. Served on a, as a pastor in a church and the marriage pastor of a church. Man, was that year rough. I had all kinds of insecurities that just had not come to the surface yet. I was plugging away at some seminary classes. I was completely overwhelmed, and nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. My wife knew it, and she had been warning me for quite some time. I used to tell her, honey, it's good. I got this. I got this. And, and what she will tell you now is that I used my God-given ability to communicate that I was okay when I wasn't okay, and that she loved me enough that she would buy in and she would continue to support me. It was dangerous for us at that time. It was. It almost hit bottom. I remember that I could hide the spiritual symptoms. I had enough know-how, I had enough church lingo and Christianese, I could pull that off. I could hide the emotional symptoms. It came a place that I couldn't even hide the physical symptoms. I remember coming home on a Friday night as a pastor, local church, marriage pastor. Every Friday night we do pizza and movie night at our house. And I remember sitting down at the table eating some pizza, just about to pass out. Lost my breath, went down to the living room floor and laid down. Scared my family to death, scared me to death. It was a wake-up call. We had drifted away from being known. 
drifted away, and it was a dangerous spot for us to be in. And I love how God used that to take us to the level to be known. He, uh, it caused me to find some men that I was close to but didn't know me fully um, and invite them into a closer context. So what I mean is I remember emailing those men, and I remember copying Elizabeth on an email. And I said, men, I said, I have been away from community. I'm not known. It's a dangerous place for me to be in. My wife's been telling me for far too long that I'm not healthy, and she was right, but I wouldn't listen. So what this, let this email serve is a hot button that anytime, Elizabeth, you think that I'm not listening to you, what I want you to do at this point is hit reply all. And I want you to bring these men into conversation with me. Will you do that? And guess what? She's never had to do it. She's come close a couple of times. It's gotten my attention. But that level of being known, I had never experienced before. So guys, this has been a process for us. This has been a process for me as a Christian, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader in my family and in the church. Maybe that's challenging to you. Something that we want you to know today, I was thinking about this, and I talked to Elizabeth about this before I, I'm going to say it, but something that we want you to know today about us, and, and I don't want you to miss this, especially those of you that are considering being a part of the church plant in September. We're failures. I'm just going to tell you that. Now, here's why I tell you that. It's because we can hide and we can pretend that we're not, only for you to find out later that we are and be disappointed. Or we can go ahead and tell you that now, that, that we have failed and that Christ has died for it. And we can be live fully known by you and we can live fully known with you as we move forward to being sharpened alongside you. Is that a fair statement? I just want you to know that right out of the gate. It's either fear or freedom. It's fear or freedom, guys. If we're going to walk around and pretend, there's a lot of fear there. I remember one time, if any of you guys are thinking this right now, that somebody told me that I was too transparent as a pastor. They told me that I shouldn't share as much as I do, that I'm going to be above reproach, and that there's just certain things from the pulpit that I shouldn't share. My response is that as I read Scripture, I see that pastors and Christians, uh, that for each of us, we don't need to put on a show. I can't find anywhere where it says otherwise. I, I see that we are to spur one another on towards righteousness. What I don't see is that we're to spur one another on towards self-righteousness. So if any of you guys were thinking about that, chew on that for a second. Here's my challenge, church. Expose how much you need Jesus. Expose how much you need Jesus. Expose how much you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gosh, I've heard your elders say this so many times, but be salty. Be bright. and Be aromatic. Be the church. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone right, who asks you for the reason, for the hope that lives in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect. You want to display the hope that you have? Get real and get real fast. Live connected, devoted, and known. It's been said that nobody will accidentally grow closer to Christ. Well, I fully agree with that. Because nobody's going to accidentally grow devoted and nobody's going to accidentally grow known either. This is going to take you guys being intentional. Remember when I said that every member is a minister? Yeah, that's you. That's you. If you are a covenant member of Crosspoint Fellowship, that means it's on you to take your community to the next level. Don't wait for the next guy to do it. 
lead out. The health of your community is everybody's responsibility. It's not just your life group shepherd. It's not just your elders. It's you guys. We're body. Sharpen one another. For those of you that may be new at Crosspoint, maybe you guys are visiting today, what, what they have at Crosspoint are what are called life groups. Because it would be hard for us to deeply devote and to deeply be known with one another in this large group setting. So what we have are life groups where week after week, we've made it available for you to plug into community. There's an established meeting place. There's leadership there. There's community there that's ready to have conversations with you. If you are a part of a life group, but your community is not yet at the level that I've been talking about, I challenge you today. It's on you to take it there. Don't wait for the next person to start it, but you start it. You guys, keep this in mind. I this in my notes. I wasn't sure if I was going to say it. But in the past, when I've challenged congregations in this way, when I've challenged congregations to be transparent, Many have come up to me at the end of the message and they've said this. They go, Pastor, hey, I'd love to get with you because I, I want to share my story with you. Man, I was challenged. I want to share my story. I want to be known. I want what you're talking about. Let me say this. I, I want to hear it. I want to meet with you. All those things are true. The first question I'm going to ask you is, does you, are, you in, are you involved in community and do they know? Are you involved in community and do they know? Here's what commonly comes back to me. Man, I would love to tell them. Man, I've been a part of this community for a long time. Oh, if I come clean now, they're going to know that I've been faking it. What do I do? Tell them. Tell them. Praise God, you don't have to fake it anymore. You want to grow? You want to mature? You want to take your own spiritual walk to the next level? Tell them. You want to lead out in your community group? Tell them. I dare you. I dare you to do this. Don't let each other give surface level and data answers. Don't. Guys, we do that. We say... Uh, man, how's it going? All good? That's surface level. The next level, uh, Ben talked about a couple weeks ago, is data. Remember, he said, we can store up data, we can't store up relationships. He was talking about the context of our relationship with God, but it applies to each other. So data is, man, how are the kids? How's school going? How's work? Good. And then what's funny is we revert right back to surface, and we go, you too, me, all good. You? Yeah? So we go back to surface level with that one. You guys, don't let each other do that. Take the time today to ask your life group what they're learning about God how you can pray for them, how they're leading their families, serving their spouses, loving their children. Ask them when's the last time they blew it and what that looked like. Ask them what they're currently struggling with and how you can help them. And then ask if you can share how they can help you. Guys, I hope you've been challenged by this today. What I want to do is take a time and, uh, of prayer uh, to close us out in this message. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for you. Again, that we can stand before you, we can sit in this room fully known and exposed in front of you right now. Yeah, the truth is there's nothing that's going on in any one of our lives right now that you don't know about. And there's no, no greater sin than the cross, we know that. So there's no, greater, no sin in our lives that you haven't died for. Yet if there's any of us in this room that are holding back, that don't have this devotion as your early church did because we've learned how to play church and we've learned how to say the right things and speak Christianese with the best of them. God, remove that context from our hearts and our minds. God, just let us learn from the book of Acts. Let us learn from Luke's description of what this early church was, that they were cut to the heart, that they were in awe, that they responded to your gospel. They understood their depravity. They understood the price that you paid for it and they responded with a desire to obey to live life with one another, sharpening one another, spurring one another on. 
I thank you for this message and how much I need it this morning because my tendency is to drift, to drift back to a place where I put on a show for others, to not be known, to isolate. God, we know that in Scripture we don't see isolation. We see that there is retreat. We see that Jesus retreated. We see that he went away and that he, he filled up only to come back in. And God, we, we do that. We want to do that, but we don't want to isolate. God, we know we have an enemy seeking to destroy us. God, may you protect us. May you shield us. May you help us to understand who he is and his tactics. May you help us as a church to come alongside one another and to strengthen one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, Matthew 9, 11 says that those who are well have no need for a physician. Remember that one? I pray today that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that we understand how much we need a physician. As any time we read the scriptures, uh, we have a choice to make. Uh, We either read it through a filter that says that it's all about us, or we read it through the filter that says it's all about Jesus. When the people of God live devoted and known, it creates a platform that says it's all about Jesus. It puts the gospel on display and allows us to make much of him. As we read Acts 2 today, we saw that the early church broke bread together. In verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, unpacked in verse 46, that it says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook with glad and generous hearts. So what we know about this verse is that the breaking of bread, it may mean that they uh, were taking the Lord's Supper together. It may simply mean that they were having table fellowship. But... Partaking of food with glad and generous hearts, guys, that's what we want to do this morning as we partake together as this church, fully known, fully loved, understanding that we need this great physician. It shows in this early church that togetherness was a precious thing. May it be with us as well. As the scripture shows that they loved to eat meals together. It seemed like they were together with us all the time in this way, day by day. This was the kind of love that they had for one another, that they wanted to be with each other. It wasn't that they got with their community and then they went and got with their real friends later. No, they did life with their community. So as we gather as a church today corporately, we're going to break bread together. We're going to do this by partaking in the Lord's Supper. And as we do this, my prayer is that we would make much of him. May we now distribute the elements. Keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me Self in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal
respite know? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul I to the fountain fly watch me Savior or I die watch me Savior or I die Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown And behold thee on thy throne Rock of ages cleft for me Let me hide myself in thee Let me hide myself in thee let me hide myself in thee. Awesome, guys. Um, before we uh, partake this morning, I want to say a couple more things. Um, we, we saw how important it was for the Acts 2 believers to gather. Uh, as we gather the church, as the church today, as we break bread together, as we uh, drink of the cup together, as we make much of him together, uh, let us see that in the bread, uh, we see the body of Christ. We see the bread come down from heaven, the perfect God-man. God's gift to solve our sin problem. And in, in the cup, uh, may we see Christ as the Lamb of God who came as the God-man to die for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, verse 25 and 26, it says, In the same way, 
Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in, in, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Two things going on there. We do this in remembrance. We do this in celebration. But guys, we also do this in anticipation of his return. And friends, he's coming back. That's what we're celebrating this morning. It says today that we're to examine our hearts, as the scripture says. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. But then and so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's take and eat. Let's take and drink. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you again for you. Thank you that you have solved our sin problem. Thank you that you have made the way for us to be in right relationship with you today. God, we trust that as your church, uh, God, that you have done these things and we celebrate you today. Thank you again for these reminders this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in worship. Let's stand together.
All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great. 